take out your Bibles and we can begin. Today is our sixth and final part of our series through the book of 2 Thessalonians called the Awakened Series. And I entitled the message, Wake Up and Get to Work. Uh, there is a lot of challenge in today's message. And what I have been praying for all weekend long was that those that need to be challenged would be challenged, but those that are already feeling a little weak and hurting, that they would not be destroyed, right? Because Paul comes in with a pretty strong message here. And I want to make sure that everyone is hearing it with what the Lord is saying and not just going, man, I hear an awful lot of condemnation from that, that pastor guy. Uh, listen, my job is to deliver the word of God as it was written and in the spirit that it was written, but at the same time to help you understand it and apply it a little bit. So we're going to try to do that today. Let me just read through with you. Turn with me to second Thessalonians, uh, chapter three, verse six. It's going to be page nine ninety in the Bibles under the seat in front of you. Nine, nine, zero. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it and then we'll kind of kick off the message with some thoughts and then dive into the meat of it. All right. Begins like this. Now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It's not because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I want to talk about work. I want to talk about what it is to be human. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that being human means we're limited. There's things we can do and things we can't do. The Bible says, according to Paul in the book of Romans, it says that we are to look at ourselves with sober judgment. And what that means is, look at yourself accurately. Do not overestimate. Do not underestimate. Look at yourself as you were made. So let's talk about the idea of being made in the image of God. Yes, we are indeed as human beings, weak. We are limited, and our sin in our lives causes us to fight the very things that we were designed for, built for, made for. But make no mistake, even all people in the world, as messed up as they are, they are still made in the image of God. 
When God scooped together some dirt and began to fashion Adam, he could have made him in any form. He could have made him in some uh, bizarro type way, and yet he decided to make him in God's image. What that means is, is that there are things in us like God. For example, we as human beings would be uh, defined as reason beings we are communal beings we have the ability to love we have the ability to think outside of ourselves things like that these are all marks of god that were in us as we were shaped according to his image for those of us that are believers those of us that have submitted to jesus christ asked him to be lord and savior of our life said yes to him surrendered to him for those of us that are christians We are not merely redeemed humanity. Now, as much as that is fascinating, what redeemed humanity means is that in Jesus Christ, we are being remade into his image the way that Adam and Eve were supposed to be. In other words, God is trying to take out the trash, take out the garbage from us and allow us to be fully human. Remember, we are seeing a degraded form of humanity. But in Jesus Christ, he is, by the power of his Holy Spirit, ripping out all that selfishness and that garbage and purifying us and sanctifying us and making us to become more of what we were designed to be. As cool as that is, it's not the end of the story. For those of us that are children of God, not only are we that, but we have been given the indwelling Holy Spirit. So now we are connected to the divine and we are no longer merely human. We are now associated with a divine nature. All that sounds pretty fancy, doesn't it? It is. There is power in being a believer. There is authority in being a believer. There is beauty in being a believer being a believer matters because god is doing things through us that is not happening all over the world it is happening through his children what i hope to allow you to feel today is that the very idea of not doing the works of god after we've been gifted and designed and empowered and indwelt is absurd I would hope that as you walk out of here, you'd go, wait a second. I know my identity. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to go do it. And I'm fired up about it. I want us all to live a Christianity that's fascinating, not boring and mundane. Therefore, we need to understand a little bit about how we were made. God is renewing our minds to think like he thinks, empowering our prayers to press the kingdom of God into the world. He is softening our spirits so that we have the compassion of Christ. He's increasing our faith so that the impossible is possible. And he's not done. We have work to do. Work is not because of sin. Adam and Eve were put to work before sin entered into creation. While they were still sinless, God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That is called a job. He gave them a job to do, and that job was good. As a matter of fact, the job was a gift. How can work be a gift? Well, let me express this to you. Uh, For us, 
We want to make a difference. For us, we want to have a significance. Gentlemen, sociologists say that the number one need you have in your life is significance. You want to matter. You want to make a difference in the world. And God gave us this beautiful gift to be able to carry that out. So for all of us, all of humanity, we want to know there's progress. We want to advance forward. We want to say that we didn't waste everything. Work gives you a chance to begin to fulfill some of that. That is why when we have any accurate descriptions of heaven, heaven is not just a fluffy cloud with a boring harp. No offense to the harpists in the room. If you play it right, it's awesome. All right. I just not interested in mediocre harp playing. It's not that it's actually adventure. It's actually work. Work is not because of sin. Frustration in work is because of sin. When Adam sinned, God cursed him. And where did he curse him? But in the workplace, he said, now no longer will you have the same level of joy. No longer will you have the same level of satisfaction. Now, no longer will you have this fired up spirit about what you do. Now you will have resistance and the resistance will wear upon you. It is the lack of satisfaction in work. That is the result of sin. When that is pulled off, when that is removed in heaven, we then can advance forward as was intended. So work is good. Frustration in work is not good. But when we work, God in his grace has given us gifts and abilities and talents. And because he's so loving and sweet, he allows us to use some of that to make a living. I mean, we all majority of us here have a job. In our job, we are utilizing how we were built in order to make money, to be able to have a home, to be able to have a life. And there's nothing wrong with that. I would continue to encourage that. And that's kind of one of the big points of the message. But know this, if you're a child of God, you are not only supposed to build your own kingdom. You're not only supposed to use your gifts and talents for you. You're not only supposed to make as much money as you can for you. You are to use those gifts and talents for the kingdom of God. It's supposed to be an and thing. It's not an either thing. Well, I'm either going to use it for God or I'll use it to make a living. Sometimes it can just be an and. So while you're utilizing your gifts and talents, you should always submit them back to the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to do for your kingdom with this? So some, for all our gifting, let's say the idea, let's say I have a gift to do teaching. If that is the case, I could only use it just for me and trying to make my life better, or I can utilize it for the kingdom of God. What is the responsibility? Should it be an or, or can it be an and? It can be an and. So the idea is that while I also teach and I help other people and do some things that bless me, I'm also utilizing it, and it happens to be in my case primarily, towards trying to teach the word of God and advancing the kingdom. This is where all of our wicked hearts start condemning us. Okay, so Lance is talking about his gift of teaching. That's awesome for him. I don't have no gift of teaching. So mine's lame, right? All I got is this. I can crochet like a mad woman, but I can't go up there and teach. You know what I'm saying? 
How am I supposed to use that for God? All right, let me explain something to you. When Jesus needed to feed 5,000, what did he start with? Happy meal. Yeah? Who had the happy meal? Little kid. Little kid no one else paid attention to. No one else thought it was important. But in the hands of Jesus, it's always enough, right? Therefore, whatever you have is enough. Because you are not just utilizing it for you. And yeah, if you just use it for you, that little kid would have eaten one meal. That was just his lunch. And that would have been cool and tasty, but it wouldn't have lasted. But if he gave it over to Jesus, that little baby happy meal suddenly turned into feeding 5,000 men, then women and children on top of it. So in essence, 7,000 people were full and satisfied and there were baskets left over. What you have is enough. What you have is extraordinary. Well, you know what? I just don't even understand. You know, it's just a temporary thing. I mean, maybe, you know, all right, so what? I work on cars and yeah, sometimes I help out my neighbor and I help fix their Jeep and blah, blah, blah. That's not a big deal. It always breaks down again right? Here's what the Bible says. If you give one of the little ones, a cup of water in my name, you will no longer, you will no by no means lose your reward. When you give a little one, a cup of water and they drink it, it's all gone. You got to fill it up again, right? So if we want to talk about temporary, if we want to talk about simple, if we want to talk about, does this even matter anymore? Jesus says, yes. So I don't know how low Satan has lied to you and told you that your gift was, but Jesus went beneath him and said, I don't care if it's a cup of water. It matters to me. And in me, it's not just a cup of water. It is so much more than that. We were designed to do work and to do good work. Yes, the work ethic in scripture is extraordinary and extreme. It says work hard, rest hard. That's actually what it says. And even though that is the case, we are not just doing the work of this world. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which were prepared before time in advance for us to do. If that's the case, we are not merely just doing work. We're doing kingdom work. We're doing eternal work. And that always matters. There are many of us that have jobs that we hate. We go to our cubicles every day and it's the same old files. I want to suggest to you that that is not wrong to do a job that you feel is useless to support your family. I believe that that's called good work ethic. But at the same time, I know you need an outlet. Your outlet is ministry. Your outlet is serving. Your outlet is volunteering. Your outlet is on the other hours. You see that Paul the Apostle said, I work day and night. In day, he worked making tents. At night, he worked on making souls. That's pretty awesome. Did it take up the majority of his time? Yes, it actually did. How was Paul's golf game? Probably not awesome. But there was an eternal reward that came from his hard work it says this the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this we have been designed to accomplish his purposes we have been designed to accomplish his purposes 
If you haven't already, make sure that you're in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, page 990. We're going to go there. Paul is about to say, for all of you that are unwilling to work and you want to just kind of mooch off other people, I, I tell the church right now, excommunicate them. Now that's kind of extreme. You're kind of like, wow, Paul's ticked off. Why is Paul so angry? I mean, dude, laziness is laziness, but you don't need to get all crazy like it's a horrible sin. Let me explain why. Paul says in this letter, when we were with you, we told you not to do that. You didn't listen to us. So I end up hearing about it again. So I write you a letter called First Thessalonians. And in that letter, I warned you. I said, quote, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your own hands as we already instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So I told you and taught you when I was with you, you didn't listen to me. I wrote you a letter and told you to knock it off and start getting busy working For the kingdom working for a living, you still ignored me. We are now on three. Three strikes, you're out. We are done with this. I'm not screwing around anymore. I will come down heavy with some serious church discipline. Because we're not talking about laziness anymore. We're talking about rebellion. We're talking about insubordination. We have now shifted over into your lifestyle of wanting to do what you want to do and your lifestyle of either selfishness or victim mentality or whatever it is, is now destroying what God's trying to do through you. I will not sit by and allow it to happen, he says. So he gets all extreme. You're like, wow, that's intense. We pick it up. He said this, verse six. Now we command you, this is not a suggestion. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a God command. It's not even like, well, Paul, I suggest this. I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. A couple things that you need to see there. Number one, they're still called brother. Just because someone has sin in their life or they're screwing up does not change their status as a believer. So stop just because there's discipline on someone that everyone's like, oh, you're a terrible person. And you know what? We're all terrible people. I get that. Let's be careful on our judgments. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the idea is that the church leadership said you're way out of line. You're not listening to church leadership. So we need some serious peer pressure for positive on you. So. I'm telling the rest of the church, back away, separate from who this person is that is walking in idleness. Now, whenever there is severe discipline brought on in scripture, it is not because of an accidental problem. It's not because of a man, I screwed up. I mean, I really intended right, but I just, I just choked right there. Listen, failure, falling, difficulty are all just part of how it goes. If Jesus takes Peter, who screwed up three times in one night, denying Jesus Christ and makes him the head of the church, I think we pretty much have a a Christianity that allows for failure, right? So what Christianity is not is this whole, you better be perfect or I'm going to reject you. Notice the phrase, who's walking in idleness. The Bible uses the phrase walking to mean habitually lifestyle. 
It means that you've already assessed everything else and whether it's because of fear or it's because of selfishness or it's because of laziness or whatever your reason, you are walking in saying, I refuse to work. He's like, you know what? That's a problem. That's a lifestyle issue. And it's habitual. We've already talked about it a whole bunch of times. So I will now bring down the hammer. Brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. You yourselves know, everybody's clear on this, how you ought to imitate us as we role model Christ because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It wasn't because we didn't have that right, but it was to give in ourselves an example for you to to imitate even when we were with you we gave you the command if anyone's not willing to work let him not eat and let me tell you how awkward this is when paul wrote a letter to a church he did not blind cc everyone on the email he read it out loud the whole church received the letter and they gathered everyone together. Now, you can kind of hide in a church right here where you have, what, 900 to 1,000 people sitting in this room. It's pretty easy to hide. I would guess their church max 100, 120. Let's put this all down to 120 and let's read a letter out loud where Paul calls out individuals from 120 and everybody turns around and looks at them. They all know who it is. That's awkward. And the whole time he's talking, everyone just keeps scooting over a little bit, right? And it's just this whole gap starts widening around certain couples. You know what I mean? The scriptural work ethic is that laziness is put into a sin category. The, the work ethic is that it destroys things. And you're like, it's just laziness. No. Christianity is a serving religion, not a, I want to be served. I'm entitled. Everyone give me something. That is not what we serve in Christianity. Jesus Christ, who had every right to be served, said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. He was the one that washed the disciples feet. When your king, when your role model sets that tone, the whole idea of no, 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 everybody else can pull my weight. I'm cool. Doesn't fly in Christianity. All the way through you go, and then we all have these excuses, right? Well, the reason why, you know what? The reason why I barely do my job at work is because I work for this complete pagan bogus company. I'm sorry, have you not read Joseph? When he worked for Pharaoh, how'd that go? Oh, that's right. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king of a psycho polytheistic king. So here's the deal. We have all kinds of weird leaders that Daniel worked for and they were awesome at it. So this whole business about, I don't like it, it doesn't matter anyway. They were doing things they didn't think mattered, but they did it because they did it for the Lord. They didn't back off. They went all the way in. And then you go, well, you know what? I just feel trapped in my job. I hate my job. Can't get out of my job. And they're basically lording it over me. So I have no respect for those people. Did Paul not talk to slaves and their slave masters? You want to talk about being owned? Let's talk about legitimately being owned. What did he tell them? You don't just do a good job when they're watching. You do a good job when they're not watching because you're not working for them. You are working for Jesus Christ. Therefore, you put all your heart, all your soul, and you do your job well. The Bible says that we are to have a solid work ethic. Does it allow for workaholism? No. 
an equal sin to laziness is workaholism. The Bible put in the Sabbath for a reason. If God rests and he doesn't need to rest, I think that's a serious point. He did it for us. There must be balance. This whole, I'm going to go kill myself so I can have a ton of things so my wife and my kids never see me is garbage. You cannot lose your family. You cannot lose your relationship. You cannot lose your wife. That's not okay. So what we do is we balance out. And it's hard. I know it's hard. We're having this whole men's retreat on how to balance this stuff because it's hard. This men's conference is talking about the very idea that I wrestle with every day. I would naturally be a workaholic. If my wife did not put me in line. God through her has taught me what it is to be healthy. And that is why our marriage is still strong. That is why I'm still in ministry. That is why I didn't burn out 15 years ago since I've been here 16 years. Because that's what I would normally do. I love my job. My job is the best ever. I combine all my worlds together. All my friends and family is who I get to serve. I get to do it as a job. I get to do it. I used to do it without it being a job. I love what I do. And every time I do things, I know it has eternal impact. How do I not want to do that all the time? Because it's not right. There are many great things you will never do. Because it's not appropriate. We need to learn how to set boundaries, yeah? It says this. It says that we need to have to pull our own weight. What if you can't? How do you know legitimate needs? We have a benevolence uh, part to our ministry where we help people out that are in trouble. How do you determine a legitimate need? Because that's pretty complicated, honestly. Here's the deal. There are some folks that just want to be supported because they have a million reasons why and they're not legitimate. That's hard. There are some folks that not only have legitimate needs because their body cannot sustain them working, but there's a whole bunch of people that truly do need help, but you're afraid to ask for it. As much as there should be shame on those that just loaf around and screw around and mess up everybody else's life with their free time, there should be no shame for those that truly need help. That's what the church is for. If you have, and understand pride causes both, right? And there's some of us that don't like asking for help. When we talk about need in our culture, we're talking about relative need, right? We're not talking about Calcutta. I didn't get my one bowl of rice for the whole day. We're not talking about that kind of need. We're talking about relative need. How do you define what is good need and bad need? Mostly the needs we have are, I am not able to keep up with where my other neighbors are at. And there is shame associated with that. Is that still legitimate? You know what? Sometimes it is legitimate as to how it damages the family, but sometimes it's not. We need to re-rack as to what need means, but there are some that are in need. And I'm here to tell you that if you have a legitimate need, we want you to let us love on you and to allow us to be Jesus's arms that come around you. It's kind of the point. 
I'm not going through this fast. Verse 11. Let's, <laughs> let's blow through this. All right. That's kind of a little tangent there. All right. For me, thank you. Praise the Lord. All right. I have two people that love tangents. Amen. All right. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> For we here, but I love you guys most. All right, here we go. For we hear, Paul said, which in Greek means we have been hearing over and over and over. Everybody's talking about it. Did some among you walk in idleness? You're not busy at work. You're busy body. So you're using all your free time to hijack everybody else's life. Man, now that I'm not doing anything, I've noticed that you're quite the sinner. <laughs> it's like, well, that's awesome for you, buddy. How about you go get a job and you can figure out that I'm a sinner later. That's awesome. Now, such persons, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ, do your work. And when you do it, do it quietly. Earn your own living. One last side note on this. A lot of us blame people in the church. There's always this phrase, man, I hate those Christians. They're so whatever that drives me nuts. Okay. Let me, let me use an example on how you probably do this. If a person with a fish cuts you off on the freeway, what do you say? Man, a stupid Christian just got right in my way. Look at that. Nice. Where did Jesus tell you how to drive? Clearly not. Okay. Here's the problem. Stop putting Jesus's name on it. Here's the deal. We need to be very clear when we judge something. Let's make sure that it's not Christianity. It's life skills. Be very clear on that. Here's why. Oh, I was at church and I tried that thing out. And every time I tried to get plugged in and have friends, they all blew up on me and they, they didn't know what to do. And they were all mean to me. And it, that's life skills. It doesn't mean they don't love Jesus. It means they don't have your background. It means they didn't have parents that you had. It means they don't have the education that you have. It means they didn't have the training that you have. So before you start judging everybody else as they're bad Christians, how about realizing that not everybody's at your level? Be careful with that. Some of us lack life skills, but it doesn't mean that we don't love the Lord. We're just not very good at it. Cut us some slack. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. When you feel like you're the one out there killing it, doing everything and fighting and trying to support everybody else and giving and giving and giving, you want to give up. Please don't do that. Do not grow weary in doing good. And just by the way, verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, meaning all of it, this whole six part series that Paul just talked through, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. That's called peer pressure, right? No, we're not hanging with you. No, that's not okay. No, you don't get to do whatever you want and still have the blessing of fellowship. But Notice that he puts in a safeguard. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Remember, all church correction is supposed to be for the purpose of restoration to the body, not trying to get rid of someone because they're high maintenance. It's to restore. It's to restore. It's to restore. Now, may the Lord of Shalom give you his shalom at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand because Silas wrote my whole entire letter for me and I'm only going to write the ending. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. Silas is like, whatever. Is that the way you write, Paul? With a crayon? <laughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Listen, as we close this out, here's the deal. God gave us a gift to be about his business. 
He's empowered you. He fired you up. He gave you all the gifts and talents. And he said, please go out and do what I asked you to do. But Lord, it's not enough. It is enough. Start small. Do whatever you can. Maybe your gift that I gave you is the incredible sweet smile that when you come up to someone you don't know and you flash the smile and their whole life brightens up and you merely tell them, hey, you seem, man, I really love what you're doing here. I love your, and you start encouraging them. Maybe the power of encouragement is something that God has infused in you. It doesn't cost you anything. Freely you have received. You need to freely give that away. And all of a sudden, God's love begins to pour out in his church. When we walk out of this room and we go out into the world, we are to be salt and light. God equipped you with everything you need. Let's do it with all diligence. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. May you be praised. May you be glorified in us. And God, please help us to get rid of all the lies from the enemy that tells us that you didn't do anything with us, that you made a bunch of trash. I refuse to accept that. Lord, I refuse to allow my friends to accept that. And so I ask God that you would renew our mind and wash it clean and remind us we are capable. God, we can't do what everyone else does. Our body won't let us work sometimes. We feel beat up. We feel uh, hamstrung. Lord, some of us are facing such disability. God, we can't do what we want to do, and it's driving us mad. God, if you will not heal us, would you redirect us to do what we can? God, give us new, fresh vision. Breathe life into us in Jesus' name. Amen.